What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Welcome to the Chase Thomas podcast. Saturday morning, extra edition of the pod uh, on the line right now. Cousin Sam. Sam. Good morning. How are you? Hey Chase. Good morning to you. How are you doing? Oh, you're excited. What time did you get up this morning? Like you're so. You're the next family member to make his appearance on this podcast, and um, it's just Kyle. I'm not gonna lie, cousin Kyle. He uh, he yet is trying to get on for NFL stuff now. Um, it's this never-ending struggle at this point. But um, yeah, you are here uh, on the podcast this morning. Yeah, I, I woke up at six o'clock this morning. I have a I have a puppy that we've had for about. Um, we've had since last fall and she likes to wake me up early to go out. But you have to get it like super early for work, don't you? I feel like we talked about like, yeah, a I, crazy schedule. Uh, it's not too crazy, but I usually wake up about six o'clock for, yeah. for work. Okay. Um, yeah, man, you're, you're in there. Married life, Denver, Colorado, away from Florida, <laughs> you know? You're uh, you're at a different stage, but anyway, um, great to have you on, and we are going to talk about a lot of college football things. I I love how much you wanted to prepare for this. It was great because you were going back. We were texting back and forth for the last couple of days, and you just keep adding to the notes. And I think I don't know if you're nervous. Or you want to make sure that you're well prepared so you don't come off uh, sounding ignorant about anything but uh, i don't think you have to worry about that sam you um you're gonna be fine it's it's okay let me just say on the podcast you're going to do fine well yeah i mean i'm an engineer and you know for for that field i always like to come prepared and uh you know you don't want to come on the podcast first time and not have anything to say (laughs) (laughs) that would be funny um but anyway you went to florida state I'm an Auburn fan, mm-hmm. and um, one of the things that I think you and I, we kind of realize that we can do is we can talk about college football, and um, we have this group chat uh, with other family members that uh, can get a little testy at times, that uh, pretty interesting, pretty fun, but it's been dormant for the offseason because nobody's talking about anything because the season hasn't started yet, and there's not really anything to talk about, but... There's things to talk about on this podcast, like your Florida State Seminoles getting a new coach because Jimbo flew away. He flew to mm-hmm. Aggieland. He had this really weird plane arrival. Did you watch that video of him landing I, in those fans the way they, like, it was like a new president or czar? Like, a like I don't know. It just felt like a dictator flying in and just, like, having his people, like just 25 rabid fake fans just like going berserk for his, it was weird. Yeah. They, they rolled out the red carpet for him and 
Uh, I will say probably my favorite part about the off season with A&M kind of following them now from a distance is just seeing all the awkward things that they make Jimbo Fisher do now. I mean, something about uh, if, if you're not as familiar with kind of the, at his time at Florida State is he's definitely a, a Nick Saban disciple through and through. I mean, he is not somebody that really embraces all the school traditions. I mean, you rarely saw him to the chop or anything when he was at Florida State. So it's really entertaining to watch uh, him awkwardly do the, the Texas A&M sway. And did you see the thing where uh, he was Sheriff Jimbo at, at the rodeo? <laughs> I did not. He was Sheriff Jimbo? Uh, so, yeah, so he had to go judge a rodeo. He was a guest judge at a rodeo in Houston. And they have a funny picture of him on like a horseback and he has like a, he's all dressed up in a cowboy outfit and he has a little sheriff badge on his vest. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> but he, he hates all that stuff. I mean, all he wants to do is just, you know, spend 20 hours a day preparing to coach football. So, uh, but I guess if you get paid 75 million guaranteed, you got to appease the boosters. Right, like he got an outrageous deal, but like Texas A&M are one of those programs now where I don't think that happens if they're not in the SEC, but now that they are, and um, I felt bad because Kevin Sumlin's a good coach, and it was he just never found the right offensive coordinator after Kingsbury left, and not mm-hmm. having Johnny Manziel anymore hurts, but um, he didn't handle the whole Kyler uh, Murray and Kyle Allen thing really well, which is why... So this is becoming like a trend, it seems like, with some of these five stars going to the same school, and then one of them not winning the job, and then it gets really awkward, then they have to transfer out, then they end up at Houston or whatever. And I, that's why I'm fascinated with a couple of these like SEC quarterback battles, especially, is that like Justin Fields went to Georgia. I don't think he's there to sit behind Jake Fromm for three years. Like, he's a five-star quarterback. Like, he was the number one quarterback outside of Trevor Lawrence who went to Clemson, who would you be surprised if he at least saw time on the field this year? Like, he is an absolute freak of nature. Like, he's gigantic. He can do everything. And um, he looks like sunshine from Remember the Titans. But he is someone that can actually pass the football, which Clemson cannot do right now with Bryant at quarterback, but they can win a lot of games mm-hmm. like that. But I just wonder if we're going to see some like Tebow, Chris league stuff with the uh, Clemson. A yeah. Little bit. But what do you think? I think both, I think both schools. So I think uh, to kind of start out with Georgia first, I think that um, just kind of looking at Georgia's schedule, they have a very manageable schedule this year. I mean, they don't have the big uh, out of conference opponent to start the year at a neutral site. They start off with Austin P and, um, they play Middle Tennessee out of conference, UMass, uh, and then their yearly game against Georgia Tech. And um, just kind of with the state of the SEC East, too, it's still, I think it's still pretty weak outside of Georgia. I mean, you have Florida starting over Tennessee, uh, you know, Kentucky and Vanderbilt are still Kentucky and Vanderbilt. So I think Georgia is going to find themselves in a lot of blowouts, which will mean that you'll see uh, Justin Fields getting a lot of playing time in the in the second half of games. And I think you can say the same thing about Clemson, too. So I would expect Kelly Bryant to restart the season as a starter. But 
like you kind of alluded to with the Chris Leak, Tim Tebow at Florida, I think you're going to see some packages where they try and work in Trevor Lawrence and he'll get the, get the, um, he'll get a lot of time as, as quarterback in the second half of the games. And we're not even talking but about he, like Chase Bryce. Like he's another good quarterback that they have in their system. It's just, it, it's weird because not they cannot play everybody. So these five stars that go to these schools that already have a five star quarterback under center, it's kind of peculiar to me. I get that they're mm-hmm. believing in themselves and they wanna, they think they can beat these guys out. But look at what happened to Jacob Eason. He just got hurt and then he just lost his job. Like he was the number one quarterback. He was the big get for Georgia, and now he's gone. And um, you know what's funny is talking to family members about Jacob Eason. Like, I'm convinced that they were going to lose to App State last year if he did not get hurt. The way that game was going, like they were going to lose at home mm-hmm. to App State, and then they end up in the national championship game. Like, it's just you never know. But at the same time, like, I don't think Jake Fromm's an NFL quarterback. I don't think he gets drafted any of that. He feels like an Aaron Murray type to me. Where I, Aaron Murray, I think, went like the fifth round or something, maybe the seventh. I feel like it was one of the later ones, but out of the league, all that kind of stuff. But he was a great college quarterback for Georgia. One of the best they've ever had. I think Fromm could probably yeah. fit in the same mold, but Justin Fields is like, he could be someone who is just like Lamar Jackson on steroids. Like, he is, if you watch his tape from Harrison, um, another high school in Georgia, him and Trevor Lawrence both come out of Georgia. Lawrence went to, I think, Cartersville. And, like, they're just freaks of nature the way that they can move around and just I don't know I just I would not be surprised especially with how last season went with Georgia where Easton got hurt and then Fromm stepped right in it was fine like if Fromm gets hurt and Field steps in do you do the same thing all over again I I don't know yeah I think that I, there's probably a better chance of that working out than what people could have predicted with Easton and Fromm I mean I know Fromm was pretty highly thought of, but I don't think anybody expected him to play the way he did as a true freshman, just jumping right in to, to uh, lead Georgia. I mean, I think his wasn't his first start at Notre Dame last uh, year. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I watching that game too. I mean, it was, it was a down to the wire game and they, they were able to hang on and win the, win the football game that kind of propelled their season forward. Um, but I think something with Georgia, just the way they're recruiting, uh, I mean, having an NFL quarterback, NFL uh, talent-level quarterback, I mean, that really kind of puts them in another stratosphere. But you don't even have to have that level of quarterback play to win a national title at Georgia, just the way they're stockpiling talent at all the other positions. Yeah, I mean, they're so Georgia, it seems like, their issue is going to be their front seven this year. Like they lost a lot of talent with Rokon Swint, Rokon Swint, and all those guys. But their secondary is going to be strong. They got one of their guys to come back as a senior. I'm blanking on his name right now, but he could have gone in the draft, third round pick, but he didn't. Um, but they're going to be fine. Like the defense is not something I would worry about with Kirby Smart and Mel Tucker for Georgia. And like you alluded to earlier, is like their schedule is a, f- it, it, it's a joke. So they have Austin P. And I'm actually kind of already annoyed about listening to certain sports talk people talk about, like, well, that's South Carolina game. Go ahead and circle that one. 3.30, CBS. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's South Carolina. That offense yeah, is think... still terrible. It's must champ. Like, that, 
like it's just it's going to be ugly. It's going to be terrible. Jake Bentley's fine, but they can't score. It's I mean, I will say it would not surprise me if South Carolina beat Georgia like 9 to 6. Like that would not surprise me at all. But I don't want to watch it and also I'm I, I just I'm good. I'd never need to see Muschamp play Georgia ever. I'm I'm okay. <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think the big thing looking at Georgia's schedule is they don't really have any back-to-back games that are, that are tough. I mean, you play, they play at South Carolina, but the next week they get Middle Tennessee. Um, you have at Missouri, which could be tricky, but I don't think they lose that one. And then uh, the next week you have Tennessee at home, which is starting over. Um, they play at LSU in October, but you get Vanderbilt before to buy after. And um, their game, their rivalry game in Jacksonville against Florida, you get Kentucky the week after. So their schedule is really spaced out nicely. You're not having these two or three game stretches where it's just a tough opponent uh, back-to-back. Yeah. It's it's an easy schedule. Like Georgia should go like at the worst eleven and one again, and yet I don't have them in my playoff. And it's one of those things where it's like I it's going to be really hard. I don't see a situation or a scenario where the SEC gets two teams in the playoff again this year. And if I have to pick one team to come out of the SEC, it's like it's Alabama. Like the Alabama stuff is fascinating to me because I think this is like the first time in our lifetime that Alabama has actually had a quarterback that's exciting. It's not an indictment on Hurts. Like, Jalen Hurts is fine, and he's a good quarterback and everything else, but Tua actually has an arm, and he actually can move around, and he's a lefty, and he is someone that just feels like their first, like, NFL-caliber starter they've had in this program with Saban in forever. Like, John Parker Wilson, Greg McElroy, all those guys – not fun to watch. AJ McCarron? No. I'm mm-hmm. I'm good. But Tua, man, like it, it's really bizarre that Alabama is going to actually have an exciting quarterback this year. Yeah, I mean, I think uh I mean those quarterbacks you talked about, that was back in the day when Alabama just wanted to run the ball 50 times a game and throw play action and uh I guess under Kiffin that that changed in uh 2014 with Blake Sims where they started to spread the ball out a lot more. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting to see what they have where it's it's a true dual threat quarterback. It's somebody who can run and really sling it too and throw accurate passes, not just have to rely on a guy being wide open in order to in order to complete the pass. They're over under right now is and this is from their opening line on May twenty seventh. Alabama is minus a like so <laughs> their over under is eleven wins. Like yeah, right. they're gonna be in the playoff. <laughs> like that's their over under is eleven. Yeah, I mean you look at their schedule. Who can you realistically say they lose to? I mean they get they play at LSU, but when was the last time LSU beat Alabama? That would have been the twenty eleven season, I think, in the regular season. And then they won the national title in the rematch. Uh, they get oh, Auburn God, at home. I forgot about that. Uh, they get Mississippi State at home, which uh, I think Mississippi State has played them tough some years, but uh, they have they've never beaten Alabama since uh, 
I don't think they've won since Saban's been the coach, maybe the first year. And, uh, I mean, the rest of their schedule is teams that won't be able to hang with them. So you're, you're really looking at two, maybe three games where they could even realistically lose in the regular season. And then, uh, they go to the SEC title game and most likely will play Georgia. And I think, uh, the winner of that game is going to go to the playoff and, I don't think, like you said, I don't think there's going to be a situation where both teams get in since uh, last year you had Georgia beating Auburn in the title game and Alabama not even playing. So I think it was easier for the committee to throw in Alabama, whereas if you craft a scenario where both teams make the playoff this year, you're going to end up with a team losing their final game and then getting put in the playoff. And I just don't see that happening. It's um so Auburn and this really hurts my soul is their win losses um nine right now which feels right like if I had to make a prediction for them this fall it's probably nine and three and it's gonna feel like a letdown and you were asking me we were texting back and forth about Malzahn like if he would ever leave or if he would ever get fired or anything like that I I don't think that's ever gonna happen especially while that he has Kevin Steele as his DC and just he's still recruiting top ten talent and all that kind of stuff like recruiting Walters or something like that then maybe but um, I just don't see it but at the same time like Auburn last year just felt like and this is similar to Georgia was like their moment to like capitalize on everything and then of course Bama still ends up winning it all anyway but it was their kind of year like they beat Georgia and Alabama back-to-back to close the season. Like, the last time they did that, they um, went to the national championship and lost to... Um, wasn't it Florida State? Wasn't that Jameis here with Nick Marshall? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that okay. was... I remember that game fondly. <laughs> mm. I mean, it was a close game. It it was pretty close. But, uh, oh, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was down to the wire. I, it, it was an exciting game. That was yeah, the last I was glad game, when the clock hit zero. Yeah, I was gonna say James hit. James hit some. Who did he hit in the end zone as a receiver to win the game? It was uh, Calvin Benjamin. Yeah. Uh, great times. Um, yeah. So Alabama, they're gonna be fine. Um, Georgia's schedule is just—it's a joke. Like they closed the year with UMass and Georgia Tech. That's just. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. They have Middle Tennessee. They have Austin Peay. Like, it's smart for them to schedule this way. Like, they – I just – can we just not talk about their schedule like Georgia, actually? that There's a reason that their over-under is 10.5. It's because anything other than – if they come in at 10 wins, if they drop two games on this schedule, it's a disaster mm-hmm. season, I feel like. Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. I just think the I, – I, they do have a lot of pieces to replace at different positions, but – yeah, the way this schedule lines up, they're going to have they a have lot like of time. They have like 19 five-star running it. backs. <laughs> How many running backs do they need? Yeah, they're they're turning into uh, Tuscaloosa East. Yeah. But the problem with that, of course, is that Nick Saban is undefeated against his assistants in his career. And that was always right. my question with Kirby Smart. It's like, if they get matched up, like he'll recruit he'll do all that stuff which is what he's done but um we don't if he ever has to get in the position where he has to beat nick saban can he do it and i i don't think so i think the only path to georgia winning a national championship is by avoiding nick saban in the college football playoff but 
Um, it's hard to do. Like, there's only a handful of coaches that I would take against Nick Saban in a critical playoff game, and it's like it's Jimbo, depending on his talent. It's um, Urban Meyer, obviously, who very divisive figure in the Thomas family, Urban <laughs> Meyer. But um, I will ride with my guy. Yeah, I will ride with my guy till the end. But um, I think the new interesting one is Jeremy Pruitt, right? Like he'll play Alabama this year. And we haven't talked about my Mr. Asparagus man much on this podcast yet. But uh, did you see that video, by the way, of him not knowing what asparagus was? Yeah, I've seen that. So can we we talk about the the spring game for Tennessee where... Okay. uh, Pruitt called out all the fans for <laughs> not selling out the game. Okay, but we also need to preface this. Jeremy Pruitt is a dick, right? Like, that's just... It's one of those things where you're... I think Tennessee fans are figuring that out very quickly. Like, that's just who he is. Well, he's he's a Bama man through and through. And I think some of these things... Um, maybe him more so than some other state assistants, but I feel like wherever he goes, when he was at Florida State for a year and he was at uh, Georgia for a couple years, uh, he just gets there and he's just he just goes, "Well, why aren't you just like Alabama?" So <laughs> it's a good it's question. The same though. thing with Tennessee. I mean, they had I think they had like sixty five thousand fans at the spring game, which is a lot for a spring game. Uh, and he's just saying, "Why aren't you Bama? Why aren't you selling this thing out and having people running on the field trying to get autographs from all the coaches and players?" It uh, it's not off to a great start, but they have um, Helton the third, or whichever. There's so many Heltons now. Um, not related to Todd Helton, the backup quarterback for Peyton Manning when he was at Tennessee, and a uh, longtime Colorado. Rockies legend, which I'm sure you're familiar with now that you're a Colorado resident, is you are ready for Rocktober and uh, Charlie Blackman mania and uh, Carlos Gonzalez hitting things. Have you been to a Rockies game yet? I think you have, right? I've been to a few last season. I have not made it to one this season. They are in first, or they were in first in the division, man. (laughs) Yeah, I have to make it out to one this week, or this uh, season. Yeah. Um but yeah, Tennessee, man. Like, I think they're going to be... I mean, I like their quarterback, Geronimo, but uh, we'll see. I think they'll be better than people think. I don't think it's like a 6-6 six and six year. I think they're probably looking at, like, what is their over-under? I bet you it's like 6.5. Uh, 5.5. Oh, by 5.5. Oh, take the over. Tennessee is not only winning five games. It's not happening. See, this it's is why... This is this is why Las Vegas makes so much money. It's because that's that's right on where I think they're going to finish. Is it's either five and seven or six and six, depending on how they do in some of the swing games they have this season. What's their schedule? But, uh, Let's look at their schedule real quick. It's pretty brutal. Is it really? Oh. Damn. Uh, oh my God! They open with West Virginia. Not great. So that's probably a loss. They get East Tennessee yeah. State. UTEP sets to Florida at home. Uh, we can talk about Florida in a second, but I don't like that. They're losing at Auburn. They're losing. Oh, they have at Auburn. Oh, hold on. This is the mur- Oh, my God. Okay, so this four-week stretch. It seems to happen every year, too. Yeah, this is brutal. So they go to Georgia, then to Auburn, then Alabama at home, and then to South Carolina. Oh, God. Yeah. This is a terrible. Yeah, I think 
Uh, and this is something I've wondered about through years that Tennessee needs to do. They, <clears throat> they tend to finish the season off with Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt all in a row. They need to spread those games out a little more in the schedule because they always play Florida and Georgia early on. They end up having their crossover opponent from the West in October, and then they play Alabama in, in uh, mid-October. So you just end up with these stretches where you just play four brutal games and uh, they tend to lose most of those games. And then it's the end of October and your season's pretty much done, but you still have to play another month of the season. Yeah. Um, I'm suddenly way more pessimistic about how many games this team wins this year. Yeah, I think the way to get... Almost generous. <laughs> yeah, the way to get to a bowl game for Tennessee is so they... you. you Pencil and wins for uh, East Tennessee State, UTEP, and Charlotte. Uh, you take care of business against Vanderbilt and Kentucky. And then um, I think their kind of swing games are Missouri, South Carolina, Florida, and West Virginia. And I don't think West Virginia. You win yet. one or two of those, you're going to a bowl game. West Virginia has a lot of talent this year. I think they're going to be yeah. really good. I mean, it's. I, I would probably say they're going to lose that game now. Um, I think it's in the realm of possibility they could win it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you look at Georgia, Auburn, and Alabama, and those are just losses. But the the rest of those games are, you can see them winning it. So I don't know how you're going to re- react to this, Sam, but Florida and Florida State have the same over-under this year. Seven and a half what? for both. Seven and a half? Okay. Who do you feel more Uh, confident hitting the over, Florida or the Gators? I mean, uh, the Gators or the Seminoles? Um, I would probably say Florida State. I think Florida State has a lot tougher schedule in Florida. So, um, depending on the Willie Tiger hire, do you think that was the right the right guy to replace Jimbo? I mean, he hasn't coached a game yet, but do you like the staff? Do you like the field? Do you think it's a good long term fit? Yeah, I, I think it's a home run hire. I think that was when Jimbo left, that was the number one target they had to get was Taggart, and um, they were able to get him away from Oregon, and uh, I think Taggart had made the comment that that was pretty much the only job he would leave for uh, to leave Oregon after one year. And he's uh, the fan base right now. I mean, everybody's really enthusiastic about Taggart. I think it was kind of the right time for Jimbo to move on because things were starting to get stale. I think if Jimbo had returned for another season, there would just be no excitement at all for the upcoming season. But um, everybody's really excited for Taggart. He's done a great job so far in the off season. He's uh, for their spring game. They they really made it uh, fun for the fans. They're they're really you know Taggart grew up in the '90s, so he's. Uh, He's big on all the dynasty era for Florida State, like players like Charlie Ward and Work Dunn and Derek Brooks. So they're really they embracing that, and doing a lot of throwbacks. Chris Nix. Who's that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, well, he is he is later, but uh, yeah, they're they're really doing a great job embracing the tradition of of Florida State and had Bobby Bowden back around the program, and and that's kind of something that. I think was lacking at times under Jimbo Fisher. Yeah. Um, 
it's also Chris Ricks, not Chris Nix. I always thought it was Chris Nix. Maybe it is Chris Ricks. Interesting. Um, Florida State legend. Is there any chance that uh, James Blackman starts week one and not Francois? I, at this point, I would be surprised if James Blackman was not the starter. What? Um, That's insane to me. What? Why? Is it because Francois is just not healthy, or is it just like... I'm. I don't know. I'm still a Francois guy, but is I, I don't know. Maybe, what's going on there? Why is Blackman the starter week one? Well, it's a combination of things. So Blackman, he started all last season after Francois got hurt in the first game against Alabama. Right. Um, Francois still is not healthy, so he he had a pretty serious injury in that game. Uh, I think he's taking part in conditioning drills right now, but he is not cleared to play for contact yet. He, he was never going to be completely healthy until fall camp at the earliest. Um, so Francois has still been taking all the starter reps, or I'm sorry, Blackman has still been taking all the starter reps. And I think since Francois got hurt, there's been a lot of questions about his leadership. So, uh, there's one instance during the season last year where Francois skipped senior day to just go to Orlando and hang out with his buddies. And um, it'd be one thing if you might have a receiver doing that or just a, a backup player, but you can't have your quarterback doing that. They have to be a leader for the team. And I think Blackman so far has really embraced the role of being a leader for the team and, and you've also had some situations, too, since Taggart took over where he's publicly called out Francois in the media for his ability to, uh, for his leadership for lack thereof. Yeah. And he was pretty upset, though, about the Jimbo Fisher, like, transfer, basically, right? Like, he was not a, like, he felt kind of slighted, right? Am I misremembering that? Or was he kind of, he was kind of vocal about Jimbo leaving and everything? with that right yeah i think i think a lot of uh players felt that way not just francois um <clears throat> i think if you're trying to leave a job uh aside from a scandal happening i think jimbo probably handled about handled it about the worst way you possibly could um <laughs> you i i feel like you are 100 percent here for like jimbo slander at this point but like he won you a national championship Is that oh no don't get me wrong it? yeah if 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 you had to redo the Jimbo Fisher era, you're redoing it a hundred times out of a hundred. Okay. He won a national title. So Florida State uh, he, fans are not that crazy. We're like they just hate this guy and are glad he's gone and aren't like appreciative that he was actually really good for them. I don't think so, but he did. <clears throat> you can't overlook the way he he left things. I mean, he basically trashed the school on his way out, and people feel kind of. Uh, little betrayed by that. I mean, he, he won a lot of Florida state. He made a big name for himself and you're going to trash the school on your way out the door. What's weird though, I think that's where some of that frustration comes from. Yeah. But I would say, so like there has always been this weird thing where it's like some talking heads don't like, I, I don't, I've never really understood this line of thinking of that, you know, Florida state because in the ACC and not the SEC that, it's not as good of a job as like Auburn or Florida or LSU, that kind of thing. But I've, 
Florida State won a national championship. Like they are still there. They are. They recruited a high level. Like it's a top ten job in college football. It's one of those things where, like, if you are a rising head coaching candidate, who would you rather coach? Auburn, LSU, or Florida State? And my pick would be Florida State. And it's not just because you get to play in the ACC, but it's also just a good job. And Florida is a great I, like. I think LSU is a low key terrible job. And I mean, we'll talk about them in a second, but I'd never understood the rumors that seem to swirl around um, Jimbo in the Florida State program for years, especially the last couple of he's going to try and get paid. He's going to go to LSU, like especially when they mm-hmm. moved on from Les Miles. Like Jimbo is the number one target. I'm like, why would Jimbo leave for LSU? Like he can, he already knows he can win at Florida State. He already has. Like it's a better job. LSU, you have to deal with so much more just nonsense. And I, it's not a great job. And I think LSU is just um, – they're in a bad place right now and I feel like they need like a whole remodeling situation within that just uh, university but we'll see what happens there but uh yeah I just never really understood why Jimbo was linked to Auburn and LSU like that for the last couple years and that people were just not like you know what maybe he just likes being at Florida State and maybe Florida State is just a really good job and we should stop like trying to push coaches who are not like Dabo Sweeney is the next one to do that right but am I crazy or is that Dabo Sweeney is like the next Jimbo in that regard where it's like he's one at Clemson, but people are still going to be like, is he the next guy to take over at Alabama? Is he going to get the Auburn job eventually? Like what if LSU finally cleans house after this offseason? Would Dabo leave for LSU? Um, is, is he the next one up where it's just people are going to continually link him to SEC jobs, even though he's shown that you can win at Clemson? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think one of the differences between Jimbo and Dabo is it seemed like Jimbo, that was kind of a a ploy to get more money from the university through his agent, um, which a lot of coaches do. It's, I'm not trying to single him out for that. But it seemed like Dabo, I mean, he really has a good thing going on. I mean, Clemson's had probably the best run they've had in their history as a program. They've really elevated their program from kind of a second tier team to definitely an elite school now. And mm-hmm. I don't, I could only see him leaving Clemson to go to Alabama at this point. I mean, if you're Dabo Sweeney, why would you go take the Auburn job or the LSU job? I mean, Clemson's a better program than both of those schools at this point, the way he's had things rolling. And I think it doesn't seem like Nick Saban's going to leave anytime soon at Alabama. So I, it's it's hard to see him becoming the Alabama coach at this point if if Saban's not going to retire in the next few years. Saban, he's sneaky old. Uh, like he doesn't look as old as he is, which is good for him. But he's he's getting up there, man. He's in his sixties. Like I I don't know how. It's interesting because if you listen to certain people talk about Nick Saban and what he likes, it seems like he is going to be on college game day when he retires like he actually likes doing media stuff which is weird because if you watch his press conferences and everything else it seems like he's not into it and he's like bill belichickian in that regard but he's not in that he actually does have an interest in media like we're gonna get the paul feinbaum and nick saban show on the sec <laughs> network in like five years oh man i'm sure alabama fans would eat that up where are you at with feinbaum i actually kind of like him 
I don't really spend a lot of time listening to him, to be honest. But <laughs> I, yeah, I don't live in Alabama, so <laughs> maybe it's not doesn't appeal to me. It's still weird, though. He went to Tennessee, and he's a gigantic Alabama fan. That always felt weird to me. Yeah, I wonder how Tennessee fans feel about that. We'll uh, ask the group chat. Um, we should mention though, like, so all basically, your dad went to Tennessee, right? Um, you, this, Uncle Stan, went to Tennessee. Uncle Steve, biggest Tennessee fan, but he went to North Georgia, where I went, and my dad went, and all that kind of stuff. But most of our family is Tennessee fans, and we haven't gotten a chance to get more of like, I'm gonna miss the Butch Jones takes. Like, I I might have to go back before the season started just to. Um, reminisce on the good days when <laughs> your dad and Dave and um, I should mention Uncle Dave too, also in Tennessee. But um, yeah, we need to go back and reminisce on the Fire Butch and this team's terrible. And uh, what was your favorite um, take in that group chat from uh, the Butch Jones era? Was it the game where they were like they didn't score an offensive touchdown? Was that the one? I feel like that was it, where they almost beat South Carolina with no offense whatsoever and they like mm-hmm. lost didn't they lose inside the 20 like they lost in the red zone they couldn't put it in or something am i yeah, they, remembering that or did yeah yeah i believe so yeah they have a habit of that uh probably my favorite is the georgia tech the opener when i think just <laughs> right. the entire game was complaining about tennessee not being very good and bush jones needs to get fired and they still kind of left their way into a win <laughs> That game was insane. Like, I highly encourage people to go back, if you have a second, to watch that game because Tech was doing... They had the ball <laughs> for, like, <laughs> the entirety of the first half, and it's the way Georgia Tech plays, but it was really frustrating, and it looked like they were going to win and everything else. And then Tennessee came all the way back in Butch Jones fashion, and it was like, oh, my God, he's going to do it. He just, like, saved his job. Um, it was a crazy, crazy game because Tennessee could not get the ball, and they would immediately punt. And um, my dude... Terrible quarterback. Um, before they put in Guantanamo or Garen, is it Garantanamo? Guantanamo? What is his name? I'm not sure. Is was it Dormity that you're thinking of? Dormity is yes. It's he was so bad. Yeah, yeah. He I I think with the Butch Jones too. Okay, so Garantano. His last name is Garantano. Okay. okay. I think Garrett Butch- Garantano. <laughs> I think the Bush Jones hate a little was a little overblown. So hear me out here for a second. So I'm ready. they pretty much wanted to fire this guy for uh, what the last two seasons, maybe. I mean, uh, it, I it was definitely been before to fire last him season. since year two. Probably yes. Yeah, I think <laughs> Tennessee. For those who aren't uh, familiar with, they don't spend all their Saturdays watching Tennessee football. Pretty much. Uh, if you're a Tennessee coach, unless your last name is Fulmer or Manning, they pretty much hate you if you're not winning 10 games a year. So that's that's how it was with Butch Jones. That's how it was with Eric Dooley. Uh, but if you remember the end of the Fulmer era, they pretty much wanted to give him another year, even as he's going five and seven. So uh, if you have the right last name, then they still love you. But so Bush Jones, he gets there. The program's a mess with Derek Dooley. It takes them a year or two to kind of get things built up. And then they definitely underachieved, but they're still winning nine games and finishing ranks. It had been about 10 years since that had happened. And they did have the last year where everything just kind of fell apart. And don't get me wrong, he 
it, it was definitely time to move on from him. But I feel like people talk about Bush Jones. They act like he went two and ten every year. I mean, it's good to have high expectations for your program because it keeps the um, the program just on their toes where they're like, we can't fall into just, I don't even know who's the best example of this, where if you lower expectations because you just start losing enough where it becomes the norm and then suddenly you're, you're Kentucky. But it's, um, I, I don't know, like Kentucky I always will feel like should be better than they are, but mm-hmm. they're not. And um yeah, it's just Tennessee. They have high expectations. They won a national title. Like they, our uncles can't. Like they will gladly talk about the Philip Fulmer years, but they will also um, not talk about T. Martin being the one to actually lead them to that national title, which <laughs> puts some respect on my dude T. Martin's name. And you know, I mean, it's good. I get why they have high expectations, but Tennessee has not been good for almost twenty years now, right? Like. They they had basically fourteen Clausens and my favorite Tennessee year, the Brent Schaefer uh duo with Fulmer and one of those last years with uh the other Clausen, the worst Clausen. I think it was Rick. This one was Rick. He was the lefty. It was mm-hmm. Rick Clausen and Brent Schaefer. Absolutely terrible. Like I think it's was more that the of five and like, seven year? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, what was that like two thousand four, five? Something like that. Yeah. But that just feels like who they are now. And Butch Jones is the best. Like, he got the recruiting back on track because that is the one thing that Fulmer was... Like, the Fulmer disciples would not admit that, like, that offense and just everything with that program was just dying a slow death. And um, everything in life comes full circle, I guess, because Philip Fulmer is now the AD because the fans lost their mind when John Curry uh, chose to hire the DC from uh, Ohio State, Greg Schiano. And... Uh, got fired over it because fans um, literally lost their minds. And I, I don't think it was a situation where like he should have read the room. Like there was mm-hmm. no way they were going to be okay with Greg Schiano. Um, but at the same time, like that's not a bad hire. Like Ohio state's defense is really, really good. And Greg Schiano is a good coach and he won at Rutgers, which I mean, if, I don't know if you've been watching Rutgers football lately, not great. I have not. And, uh, <laughs> I don't blame you. They lost to Michigan by like a hundred points two years ago. Like just go mm-hmm. back. Like I'm pretty sure it was actually a hundred and nothing. I'm pretty sure that's what the score was. Um, and it was at home. I'm pretty sure Rutgers. I'm actually going to look that up because that score is still one of my favorite like college football scores, like the last like 10 years, but he was going to be fine. Like it would not surprise. He was going to recruit. He was going to do well. Like it's one of those things like John Curry did not make a bad hire there. And I mean, I believe he hired Rick Barnes who, got Tennessee back on track in basketball this year. Like I, I don't think he was a bad AD, but he was run off. And now you have Fulmer in there where it's like, it's kind of like that Lynn Swan at USC thing where you're like, not sure if they're qualified to be the athletic director and everything else that goes into that. But it's a legend. And they went the other way where they're like, we want Tennessee guys. We want someone who knows the system, loves the area, loves Tennessee. And that's fine. Problem with that is that doesn't often work. Like Greg McGarity is not like a UGA lifer. Like he mm-hmm. came from Florida, like Flor- Georgia fans were not like, we can, we don't want a Florida AD like coming in here. Like, no, he's been great. Like he is slam dunk hires. Like it's been a great era of Georgia um, getting him. I just, I don't, I, I'm just kind of dubious about this where it's just, they have Pruitt, they have Fulmer now. I, I don't know, man. It just, it feels kind of like we want to bring it back. It's just nostalgia is a, is a tricky thing. And I don't know. I'm still kind of 
it de- like the Curry stuff still doesn't sit right with me. That's what I'll say. So Tennessee, I think the bigger question, I think the more interesting question at least is, uh, and we'll probably be talking about this from five years from now or so, is what if Tennessee had hired Mike Leach? What if that had gone through and Curry doesn't get fired? Uh, That's who Dave wore. I it definitely because the thing with Pruitt, it just kind of feels like what all the other SEC, a lot of the SEC schools are doing right now, which is just hire the next same assistant and try and replicate Alabama at your program. Yeah, but I'm not a fan of that. I think Mike Leach would have brought something very different to the table, and it would have been interesting to see whether or not that that panned out, or or even how long that he would last in Knoxville. I think maybe some of uh, the things that makes him a unique person and pretty entertaining to kind of cover uh, just watching college football as a whole. Maybe uh, he's not the best coach uh, for having to cover it on a day-to-day basis, but it, I think it would have been more interesting than, uh, I mean, I know Jeremy Pruitt's a first time head coach, but it really feels like a retread. I, I think he's a poor man's Will Muschamp. That's a really good um, observation because I'm right there with you where it feels like he has had a head coaching job. Like he flamed out at like, um, where would be a a good one that would make sense for Jeremy Pro? where it feels like he's been the head coach there before. Um, I don't know, Mississippi Mississippi State maybe? He feels like an old DC at Miss State, but um, yeah, it does feel like a retread. I like that. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because he's been at so many schools now where it just feels like they're just... Oh, this is a Saban guy. Maybe he can win. And I guess and to by be the fair way, to Tennessee, I mean, he was right. like what their fifteenth or twenty choice, twentieth choice for a coach. I mean, <laughs> they're, no they're another job. Yeah, I, I, they're another couple of days from just posting that thing on Glassdoor Zip Recruiter. I, I mean, I think you could see was was Phil Palmer just direct messaging people on LinkedIn for if they'd be interested in becoming the next head coach at Tennessee. It was uh, not great, but I think um, um, I think Pruitt. So here's kind of what I'll say about positive about Pruitt is so Butch Jones. I think he he's kind of a table setter coach. So you hire him, he kind of gets your program out of a crater. He recruits well, and he kind of sets it up for the next guy. And then. See, I think Pruitt's kind of the same kind of coach. So I think he's going to be there for a few years. He's going to recruit well. He he did. He's recruited well everywhere he's been. So they're going to get a lot of talent, especially on defense. They're going to be sending players to the NFL. Uh, I don't know if he's uh, going to work out as a head coach. I doubt it. But that roster and program is going to be in a lot better place if they decide to move on to somebody else in a few years. Yeah, I, I don't know. I really have, like, after this offseason, I'm not going to pretend to have any indication as to where this program is going to be five years from now. I have, you could tell me anything and I believe you, I think. Yeah, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty unpredictable. Uh, I will say, I think maybe, uh, maybe having people in your fan base showing up to random sporting events (laughs) with Firebush Jones. (laughs) signs is not the best luck for trying to convince people to come coach there. I mean, you see, you be watching like a, a random, what, like a Spurs Lakers game and 
It's just mm. a fire butch chillin sign in the crowd. It's <laughs> 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 oh, great. Um, I can't imagine way, people I... wanting to sign up for that. Yeah, it's not fun. Um, <laughs> Michigan beat Rutgers seventy-eight to nothing. Okay. It was wow. seventy-eight to nothing. It was the biggest um, point margin in FBS on another FBS team this millennium. Um, Rutgers had six yards of offense in the first half. Um, Yikes. They, lo- they lost seven yards in the first five plays of the second half, crossing into the negatives for the day. Um, they did not get a first down until the fourth quarter. Uh, Michigan had 11 touchdowns. Uh, Rutgers, obviously, at zero. Um, oh, my God. Michigan had nine rushing touchdowns. Rutgers' longest offensive play for the entire night was 12 yards. They completed two of 18 passes. They punted 16 times. Incredible. What a game. This was two years ago? This was October of 2016. Sign up for those Rutgers season tickets. It's so good. Um, it turns out them going to the Big Ten maybe not the best idea. Uh, maybe that, that I don't think that was the best idea for the Big Ten either. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, not great. But uh, so, can we talk about LSU real quick? Sure. So, Ed Orgeron, I do you remember when he first got the job? That like apparently one of the things he did was he had like that Rolodex or he had that gigantic binder on like how he was going to get LSU football back on track. <laughs> yeah, remember I remember that? hearing about that, yeah. If you ever hear a story like that of any coach, go ahead and fire that coach and not do it. I've never heard of a situation like that just feels so gimmicky and like over the top you're like, "What the hell? What? They hired him because somebody, he was in a binder?" It's somebody like going into applying for uh, like going into a random business and applying for a job that isn't there yeah <laughs> like he had this whole roadmap and you can tell obviously ed ordron loves lsu and all that right. kind of stuff but it's like one of those things where if you have to sell yourself that hard where you're like i have to have everything just laid out in just granular detail maybe you're not that that tells me like this dude knew he was not qualified and he wanted to prove that he was qualified by going above and beyond if you're worried about that you should not be a head coach. Like, Ed Ordron is not a good head coach. We saw it at Ole Miss. We saw it. Like, he's one of those dudes who he had a brief run um, down the stretch. Like, he's the great interim coach. Maybe he's the best interim coach of all time. I think we could talk ourselves into that, especially with how it ended at USC and then at LSU. Yeah, he's but, done it one, more than once. Yeah, he's the interim coach legend. But he is not a good guy to have as your head coach, especially on a team that has national title uh, aspirations because I'm going to throw some names at you, Sam. Chris Peterson, Jimbo mm-hmm. Fisher, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, um, Urban Meyer, Jim Harbaugh, Mark D'Antonio, Ed Ordron. Which of these names do not fit? <laughs> I guess Ed Ordron. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. I don't think Ed Ordron's ever getting the playoff. I don't think that's happening. So what are you doing? And I think they could have got a, like, Matt Canada, who they paid, um, he became the highest offensive coordinator, highest paid offensive coordinator in football. He left after a year. Apparently he was butting heads with uh, Ed Ordron at uh, 
LSU. And Orgeron was the one who wanted to bring him in and pay him all this money. Um, they appear, I'm going to read you a quote from NOLA.com. They appear to be at odds um, most after the embarrassing home loss at September 30th. Oh, I forgot they lost to Troy at home. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Um, after which Orgeron said he asked Canada to scale back on the pre-snap motions and shifts for which the coordinator is now. So um, probably not great for Ordron to step in and tell the guy who you just paid a bunch of money to run the offense without any of your um, just thoughts on that offense by uh, like kind of limiting what he can do. And uh, he's already having to work with Danny Etling. He's having to work with a hodgepodge of just crap at uh, LSU at the quarterback position. Like, Matt Canada immediately goes to Maryland. He'll probably be really good with um, Maryland this year. But I not great. Um, the LSU offense did not improve, and Canada felt like kind of a bust. But then again, like, the, maybe it's just like one of those things where LSU is just not allowed to have a good offense anymore. Like, they had Cam Cameron forever, and Les Miles just could never find the right offense. And that's why he lost his job is because those offenses were just anemic. Um Jefferson was like the most exciting quarterback that they've had in a while. And um, the Jamarcus Russell days feel like forever ago. Matt Flynn, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Just it, They have not had a good offense in a long time. And that was the whole point of bringing in Matt Canada because of what he did at Pitt. And they just didn't work out. And now they promoted longtime assistant who has not been an offensive coordinator in 20 years to run the offense. And it seems like, Ed Ordron's going to play a pivotal role in game planning and all that kind of stuff. So LSU, I just, I can't believe how far they've fallen. And I feel like this is like the year where it actually implodes. And this team actually goes like seven and five or eight and four. Like they're over under right now. Seven. Wow. That's not great. Yeah. And it it feels LSU kind of reminds me of, of Florida state from the last decade. And, I think also Miami up until recently where you see kind of the previews each year for the season and these, these programs, the national media will rank them, you know, top 10, top 15. And the media hasn't really caught up with the fact that things aren't going well at the program. Uh, so right. they're kind of still giving them the benefit of the doubt on past success. And I kind of, eventually that catches up. I mean, you saw Florida state, um, towards the end of the Bowden years, I mean, they weren't getting ranked in the top 10 anymore. So I think I can see that happening with LSU where they're still right now in that spot where they're getting the benefit of the doubt. I don't know what they'll be preseason ranked this year, but I'm sure it'll be in the top 20. And Which is a joke. W- this team is not, not going to be-, be in the top 25 at the end of the year. There's zero chance. Go ahead and book it. Not happening. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they finished 7-5. and five. So it, All right, it let me run through like... their schedule. They have a tough schedule, man. Like, let me run through this real quick. They open with Miami. Mm-hmm. Like, they're losing to Miami. They get Southeast Louisiana. That's a win. So that's one. One and one at Auburn. Losing to Auburn. So that's one and two. LA Tech at home. That's probably a win. Two and two. But then again, shout out to the Troy Trojans who beat LSU at home last year. So I guess you never know with Ed Ordron at the helm that they might lose games like that at home. Well, um, we'll give them a win on that. Okay, so that's two and two. Ole Miss at home. That's a win. Okay. Um, at Florida, I think that's a loss. Uh, I think it's a toss-up. Okay, let's, I'll, let's go three and three. Okay. Georgia at home. That's a loss. Three and four. 
Mississippi State at home with a very good quarterback in Nick Fitzgerald coming back. They're going to be running the ball, a bunch of cool stuff. Like I'm actually kind of excited about what Mississippi State's going to do with um, my dude who is the offensive coordinator at Penn State, uh, Moorhead. Joe Moorhead, I think, is going to be really good for them. But, um, yeah, so I, I think that's a loss. So what is that, three and five? Uh, is, are they already to five losses? Yes. <laughs> Alabama at home, three and six. Yeah. At Arkansas. Those games are always crazy. We'll give them a win. This is a toss-up game that we'll give them a win. Four and six. Yeah, I think Rice at home, five and six. They have to go to Texas A&M last. That's their bowl eligibility on the line. Mm-hmm. So that's five and seven, right? I think so. I think you could say, let's say Florida, Mississippi State, and A&M are all toss-up games. I don't so think a and a toss-up game on the road at the end of the year. Like, I think a and going to have things figured out, and Jimbo will be rolling, and they might be competing for, like, an SEC West title at that point. I think uh, that's a see, guaranteed loss. I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, LSU has beaten Texas A&M every year since A&M joined the SEC, so uh, I, could, I could see them Give me Jimbo that. over Ed Orgeron at home every single day of the week. Yeah, I, I would I would pick A and M in that game, but I don't think it's a it's a lock. But either way, that's five and seven is very realistic for this team. <laughs> yeah, it's it's on the table. If if oh things implode, what a disaster! So much talent, and that's the other thing. It's like they're still recruiting at a high level, but it just if they get the right coach in there, then things will get better. But I don't like LSU being like this because it. I feel like college football is better when they're actually really good and really interesting because those LSU Alabama games should be must see television. Now it's like I think Alabama is just going to slaughter them this year. It's not yeah. going to be fun at all. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. Well, I think we covered everything we wanted to cover today. Did you want to talk about Florida at all? Oh, we did not talk about Florida a little bit. So Dan Mullen, who is my dude, I will ride for, I think I, we're noticing a trend here where like Urban Meyer disciples are like my guys now, but um, I am team Urban for life. And uh, you know, yeah. Dan Mullen, best head coach in Mississippi State history, went to Florida, great hire. Um, I think he's going to be really good for Felipe Franks. I think they're going to surprise people this year. Um, like I said, they're over under seven and a half. So I think Vegas is kind of hedging on Florida um, being better. I'm not sure how I feel about Todd Grantham being the DC. Uh, not a big Grantham guy, but you know, I think this offense is going to be really good. And I think Florida having a fun offense again is just going to be very nice to have because those must champ offenses in the draft. Driscoll's and the um the last couple of years have just been absolutely I cannot believe how bad like you have a lot of takes on Jim McElwain but yeah, yeah this was I, a, I uh, was pretty early on that <laughs> I think this guy there's some smoke and mirrors here he's not as good a coach as people were talking about him early on in his career when they had they looked like they're doing pretty good with Will Greer as their quarterback mm-hmm. I think and uh Will Greer great at West Virginia so um, he yeah, was, yeah. If he had Will Greer, maybe it's team. a whole, it's a totally different thing. Yeah, I think the big thing with so, so when they had Muschamp as their coach, they they always had an elite defense, but the problem was always offense. So they bring in mm. Jim McElwain to solve that problem. He was the OC at Alabama, and he was the head coach at Colorado State, and he had some good offenses. 
so they bring him in, and it, things look like they're going to turn around with when Will Greer was quarterback. And as soon as he gets suspended and kicked off the team for PEDs, uh, everything just kind of just falls apart from there. So McElwain was still able to get by primarily because uh, Muschamp had left so many good players on the defense. So what you saw last year was once those players started to run out, that defense wasn't very good anymore, and the offense was still a mess under McElwain. Because uh, one of the things, too, about him when he was at Florida is he was not a very good recruiter. So, Which was weird, right? Like It seemed like he should have been a better recruiter than he was, but also he went to Florida at the worst time to get in a recruit. Like if you were a lackluster recruiter, like this is the worst time to um, be that at Florida because you have just a, so you have Lane Kiffin at FAU who's just taking all the Bama cast offs. So he's getting five stars from programs that kicked their five stars off or it didn't work out for whatever reason. He's getting those guys. Um, so Kiffin can recruit. We know that. Um, also my favorite coach in college football and my guy, Joey, uh, freshwater, I think was his name, um, that he told people that, uh, when he was at a bar and they asked him who he was and he said, Joey freshwater, it's a great, great thing. Shout out to him. Um, Mark Rick obviously can recruit at Miami. They're going to keep recruiting. They're great. Again, you have Butch Davis at FIU. Like Mm -hmm. you go up and down the line, you know, Willie Taggart's going to recruit and Jimbo was doing that before. Like it just there's so many good recruiters now in the Southeast and Dabo's dipping in there. Like Kirby's dipping. Like you cannot afford to be Florida and not have a head coach that can recruit well, because it's just, there's too much talent and there is just so much greatness around him where it it, it looks bad. Like it, it wasn't like he was a recruiting disaster, but Florida cannot survive as like the 13th best recruiting class in like 2016. Like that just can't happen. And then expect to compete with those same schools that are um, like the Clemson's like the Florida States, like those schools that are just beating you in that regard. And that just can't happen. Yeah. And I think that's, that's actually one of the concerns I have about Dan Mullen is that I, I think he was a good hire for Florida and, he is going to get that offense turned around. I don't know if they're going to be great year one, but they'll at least get competent quarterback play. They're not going to have the, you know, the stat lines where the guy gets sacked 10 times and he only completes five passes for 50 yards the whole game. Uh, But I think one of the concerns with, especially with Willie Taggart at Florida state, he's an elite recruiter. Mark Rick's got things turned around at Miami. Kirby smarts just, building a monster at Georgia. Uh, these are all people that Florida has to go up against in recruiting. And I think Dan Mullen's kind of the weak link on that recruiting trail. So I don't know if they're going to be able to get uh, the talent they need to get to, to meet the expectations that fans have at Florida. I mean, Florida is it's national title or boss. That's those are the expectations. Uh, well, what's good for like them Florida. is they play in the SEC East and he's mm-hmm. out in the West. And I think Mullen feels really good about just getting away from that because it it, it must suck being a head coach in the SEC West. And um, it's just like Dan Mullen never got the respect or like appreciation that I think he deserved for like just how good of a program he created at Mississippi State. Like he got them to number one in the country at one point. Mm-hmm. Like that is insane. Mississippi State yeah. should never be number one in the country. Like, he deserves a lot of credit. Like, he can win with nothing. So, if you're like Florida and you're still kind of worried about the recruiting stuff, it's like, well, if he can get Mississippi State to number one with Dak Prescott and everything, like, 
if he gets the right quarterback, like who cares if he's not the best recruiter? Like I think this guy still might be able to um, implement a scheme um, that will get us to the national title picture. And I think being able to play in the SEC East, which is a dumpster fire, like Drew Locke is the best quarterback in the SEC. That's all you need to know right now um, is it's not great. And it's just, I don't think it's going to be that difficult for him to just kind of blow the doors off people because it's really Georgia and everybody else. Like he, and like, we know he coaches well against Georgia. We know that he's someone like, and don't go back to the Mississippi state game from last year where they played on the road and got blown out and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking more of like, we saw what he did at Florida with against Georgia with urban. Like they just, they won. And like, I think that's a system where if he gets more talent instead of Mississippi state type talent, but Florida Gator type talent of the past, like he's going to have a quick turnaround. Like they have Charleston Southern Kentucky, Colorado state at home first three games. That's three. Uh-huh. No, like that's already a great start. Um, at Tennessee, I think that's a win four. No, he goes back to his former team, Mississippi state. They could be five and O heading into LSU in October. And I think if they beat LSU, they're six and O to Vanderbilt let's say seven and zero. then to Georgia, they could be undefeated going Georgia and Florida could be both undefeated going into um, that game this fall. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. And then they have Missouri at home, South Carolina at home, Idaho at home, Florida state on the road. Like they are, I'm going to go ahead and say this now. Worst case scenario for Florida this year is they go 10 and two. And that I'll is take, a huge I'll take the win. under on that. Oh, can we, let's do our first bet on this podcast, Sam. Um, I have 10 and two, you have under 10. So anything 10 or above, um, I win, right? Yeah. If, if they finish with 10 wins, I'll give it to you. I, I think okay. they're going to go probably, I think looking at their schedule, I, I think they drop either the Tennessee or the Mississippi state game. I think they're going to lose at least one of those. Um, LSU, like I said at, earlier, that I think that's a toss up game. They could win or lose that one. Georgia, I think is a loss. I think, this year, probably the Florida State game is a loss, and I think maybe they drop either Missouri or South Carolina too. So okay. I think whatever that is, probably probably seven to five, eight and four is where I have them. That's maybe more likely eight and four. I think the thing with Florida seven and five too, would be insane to me, but yeah, I think kind of going back with Dan Mullen too. So he did a great job at Mississippi State. I'm not trying to take anything away from him on that. I will say with kind of his record that he had there, uh, he rarely beat the top teams on his schedule. So a lot of those wins were against teams uh, like Vanderbilt or uh, Kentucky or um, maybe if Auburn was having a down year or uh, same thing with Ole Miss. He he did a good job of beating them pretty consistently. Um, But he rarely was beating – I don't think he ever beat Alabama – and the wins he did get against LSU were kind of towards the tail end of Les Miles' run. And uh, he might have, I think he got one win against Ed Orgeron, too. So that's kind of something that concerns me with him at Florida, is that, so at Florida, if you're not winning consistently against Florida State and Georgia, you're eventually going to get fired. You can't have a losing record against both those schools. And uh, I definitely think Georgia, that's 
probably the first time in our lifetimes it's going to be where Georgia is going to have the upper hand in that rivalry, which is something that hasn't happened probably going back to the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I do Wait, think, so I have a question for you then. Do you think Kirby Smart's a better head coach than Dan Mullen? Because I don't. I would take Kirby Smart at Georgia over Dan Mullen at Florida. Really? Yes. Okay. I think mm-hmm. uh I think something I was else. banging the Dan Mullen should have been the next Georgia coach drum for a while. Like I I was completely in on just giving Dan Mullen whatever he wanted to replace Rick. That was my pick. But Kirby's obviously been great, but I don't know. I still think Mullen's better. So if if your expectations as a Florida fan are national title or bust, I don't think Dan Mullen's gonna meet those expectations. But I do think the floor is a lot higher with Dan Mullen than the previous coaches where I have a hard time seeing them aside from maybe this first year finishing lower than eight or nine wins in a season. Yeah. It's not going to be like the Ron Zook, Jim McElwain years. And They're not also, going four and eight under Dan yeah. Mullen. And you know what the best part is? They get to watch a fun offense again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that will go a long way for, for Florida fans. Um, I think that he'll do a good job of getting them to be confident this first year. And then if he can kind of catch on a little more in recruiting, maybe he'll be able to uh, get some, get some highly rated offenses in Gainesville. All right, man. Anything else? I think we pretty much covered it. All right. This was good. (laughs) Sam, you had no reason to be nervous. Like this was good. You, you excelled. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was glad to come on the first time. You'll have to have me again on sometime soon. I think we can work something out for this fall, and I think our next one should be like a over-under podcast on just like picking some of the ones that we like and some that were kind of head-scratchers. We touched on a little bit of that, um, and maybe not do like ACC previews and all that kind of stuff, but like that's really in the weeds, but more of like some broad stuff. And when things come up, um, there will be topics that we can talk about, like, you know, Shea Patterson at Michigan. Are, is Michigan ever actually going to get over the Ohio State hump? Or is Urban Meyer, my dude, never going to allow that to happen? Um, things like that. Um, I'm all about it. So I think we can figure something out. I think this was good. And uh, we will talk again soon, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, Sam. Talk to you later. Bye. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.